You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Amen. What a wonderful statement that is that God loves us unconditionally. And that's exactly what John's been teaching us over the last several weeks, that God is love. And he's called us because he first loved us, which is, which is the heart of the passage that we'll be looking at today. Because he first loved us, we are to love one another. And that's what we honed in on and looked at last week, is the fact that we should love one another. Because this is who or what God is. We saw that in verses 7 and 8. And because this is how God revealed himself in his son. As he is the propitiation for our sins that we learned last week in verses 9 through 11. Because this is how God reveals himself in his people. We learned in verse 12 of last week. We closed out by pointing out that there is only one story happening in the world today. There's only one story that is, that is happening, that, that exists, and we're part of it in one way or the other. And that's the story of a loving God reconciling his rebellious children back to himself. That's the story that's happening. Everything that you see around you is controlled by a sovereign God, and this is what he is doing. No, can we understand all of it? Absolutely not. Do we think we have better ways to do things? Yes, absolutely, we do. I have my own list of things, right? But that's the story. And the challenge as we left last week, the challenge was, will you be part of that story? Or are you making up your own story? The point John is making is if you are truly born of God and are truly one of his children, then you will have a desire. You will, you, your desires will be shifted from the things of this world to that story. To, in fact, to, to give of your life, all of your life, not just bits and pieces of it, to his mission, to his goal, which is, is to go and... and and reconcile. We have been saved to be agents of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of the invisible God here on earth. Our, our job, our purpose is to go and seek and save the lost just as we follow Jesus because that was his purpose. And the only way that his children outside the family will ever recognize their father's love for them is the way his children inside the family Love one another. That was John's argument last week. Is as, as they look in at the church, as they look in those that, that are claiming and say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, that they should be loving one another inside the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ that they've identified and, and made covenant with and, and say, this is my local, my local um, observance of the bigger church right here in Frostburg. That as, as they see us love one another, then they see the, the love of the Father has for them. Let me say this. The, the language that John is using here and the language Jesus uses all throughout the gospel, it, it seems to paint a different picture of how we are to spend our time, doesn't it? To use our resources. In a nutshell, what we give our lives over to. What, what fills our schedules, what takes our energy And the thing is, it's kind of contrasted to the things that we typically understand 
what Christianity is to be about. Jeff Vanderstelt says it, and, and I'm paraphrasing, he says it this way. We need to think, um, we need to shift our thinking from a pattern of checking the box of church during the week. And some of us have many boxes that we check, right? Some of us, you know, it's, it's three or four boxes. Some of it's, it's just Sunday morning, I've, I've checked the box. To really having all of our life be about the mission of God. To having all of our life be about the mission of God. As you go, make disciples. So wherever you're working, wherever you're living, whatever avenues you roll in, it's, it's about making disciples. It's about showing the love of God. And the thing is, is, is something that I need to ask your forgiveness for, is this is a process. And in, in studying this over the last couple of weeks and seeing that it's a process and, and continually reading that this is a process, even though that sanctification is a process, right? I, I don't think that way. I, I don't give, uh, I don't have patience um, for myself. So therefore it's hard to give patience to other as they progress and walk. And as, the, as things fall off of their lives, as they continue to turn and get on God's plan, to get on God's mission. This is a process. And, and, I kinda, and I've used this example before, a game that I used to play with the kids called Roller Coaster Tycoon. And, and you would have all the maintenance guys going all over the park, right? And whenever you had a mess, what did you do? You picked a little dude up with a crane and moved him over here. And so many times, that's exactly what I want to do with you guys. It is I see that, that you're, you're, you're in the mess, and, and sometimes I even see what has caused the mess, and I just want to pick you up and move you over here, but, but knowing, and then I lose patience and I disengage, and I, I need forgiveness for that. God has convicted me of that to where I, I need to know. I need to walk with you, and, and as God moves you from step to step to step to get to the end, I, I can't just pick you up, move you over here, even though that's my desire. I'm sure if you talk to my kids, take them out to lunch, they're saying, Yep, that's exactly how I grew up. That's exactly how I grew up. Dad told us to do one thing once, and we better get it, because if we don't get it, then there's no grace and mercy. And I'm um, hopefully they can then say, as they have gotten older, they have seen how God has worked in my heart to give the grace. And mercy, But it is a process, and it's a process that the Holy Spirit is working in you if you are born again. That's what he's talking about here. If you're born again, this process is happening in our lives. If it's not happening, then maybe we need to step back and reevaluate that. But it's a, it's a process. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. That's a hard statement. Because God is is love. Brother and sister, love is the mission. It's the mission. Showing the love that God has shown us to others is the missions. We call it many different things. We, we call it making disciples. We, we call it servants. We, we call it many different things, but love is the mission because it's all rooted in love. And it's all rooted in the love that he has shown us. So what gives us, what, what, why do we, stop and think about this. Many times, and many of you have probably done this before in your life. You have seen something that's happening at the church. We're going to, we're going to Puerto Rico to serve with Send Relief. And you're like, oh man, that's really cool. So here's what you're going to do. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to pay money 
Get this. You're, you're, you're going to take your vacation time. You're going to take that week that you would normally spend doing something else. You would go and probably not have all the, all the nice things that you have at your own house. You, you know, probably don't have air conditioning. You, you probably don't eat the food that you really want to eat. You, you might be with some people that really rub you the wrong way all week. And, 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 and you serve and, and you hit the bed every night and you're tired and you did things that you didn't really want to do. But at the end of it, on the way home or, or the next Sunday, whenever you're reporting to your church, what do you say about that week? How awesome was that week? How incredible was that? That God met me there. I, I was doing so many things. And, and, and the funny thing is, 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 why is that just one week? When God has called you to do that every single day of your life. Every single day of your life. It, it's, it's the misnomer that did God really say that? Did God really say that if I'm on his mission... That if I look at my schedule each week and I, I'm spending time, I'm purposely moving towards those that, that are in my faith family and I'm loving on them however I can, that, that somehow that, that we believe the lie that that's not going to be more fulfilling and joyful than whatever else that we go do. I'm, I'm preaching to myself, so if you get some of it, that's wonderful. But, but honestly, ask yourselves that. We do that a lot, don't we? We do that a lot. The, the joy, the joy is what was noticed on the roof in Crescent Town. The joy of what? Being on a roof, either ripping a roof off or putting a roof on, sweating and, and spending your time serving someone that none of you knew and loving on them with smiles and joy. And then talking about it for weeks after of how much you enjoyed that time together. I, I'm just putting it out there for you to think about. Putting it out there, what, what do you got planned for this coming week? Is it the same idea? See, when God calls us to himself, he circumcises our hearts through the new birth. He comes and dwells in us, then we should be so full of love, not only for those in the family, but also anyone who has not yet been brought into the family. It should be like a, a defining factor of who we are in Christ. That if we could care less about someone that's dying and going to hell, then there's probably something going on in our hearts that's not right. That, that maybe we have not been born again because... Because let's be honest, if, if God's love is put in us through the Holy Spirit, then it's going to come out of us. It has to. That's what John's telling us. That's what John's been challenging us all through this letter. He, he's, he's saying he's writing to believers and it's like, okay, how does your life match up with what the gospel is saying? And, and again, it's a progress. We can't pick ourselves up and move us to where we really want to be, which hopefully all of us really want to be in his presence forevermore in the new heavens and new earth. Not only does God's love shape our desire to love one another, John continues to show us that his love will also do some more things. This, isn't that wonderful? He's going to tell us, hey, God's done some more things for you. And the three things that we see in our passage today is one, he gives us assurance of his presence, that we have assurance of his presence. Right? We have confidence awaiting judgment. And we have power to reflect his character in this world. 
Let me read 1 John 4, 12 through 21 for us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have to come, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he is also, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he has first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, so far in this letter, John has reminded us that God has said something to us, right? God is love. That's what he said. It's it's a good biblical Doctrine. He's also told us that God is light, that he's holy and perfect, right? And God has done something for us, for each one of us that are in Christ, that can call him Father. He has done something for us. He has sent his Son to be our propitiation, to save us, to be the perfect sacrifice, to take the wrath that we deserve. But all this is preparation for the third great fact that John wants to share with us, and that's God does something in us. God does something in us. His love gives us assurance of his presence. His love gives us assurance of his presence. We're not merely students reading a book or spectators watching a deeply moving event. We are participants in the great drama of God's love. This great story that's going on around us. It's just whether or not we want to participate. To understand this piece of the story that John is giving us, it will really help us to see the whole story. And we look at the the whole, we discover that God had in mind when he devised his great plan of salvation. From Genesis to Revelation, one theme that can be tracked all the way through the, the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, that is God's divine presence. That, that God wants to be with us. Isn't that incredible? That the, that the creator of the universe, the creator of all things that we have, wants to be with us. That's why he created the garden, so that he can dwell with us. That's why that one day there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, so that he can be with us. The theme in the writings of the Old Testament, Exodus to Deuteronomy, is God's divine presence. In Genesis, you see that God walked with us, and man walked with him. Enoch walked, Noah walked, Abraham, all walked with God. But when we get to the Exodus, a change had taken place. God did not simply walk with men. He lived or dwelt with them. He lived or dwelt with them. Whether it be in a burning bush or a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire or a tabernacle or a temple, God's desire was to dwell with his people. 
God dwelt in the camp, but he did not dwell in the bodies of the individual Israelites. Now, there were some, David, Moses, Noah, those that did things for God. Yes, the Holy Spirit carried them along, gave them the power to do so. But in general, just your everyday Israelite did not have the presence of God dwelling in them. He set all this up. We know why. Because there's no way that a, a holy God could dwell into a vessel that is not holy, that is, that is defiled. It's defiled by sin. But we know that one day, God's glory comes. He leaves heaven and he comes in the form of Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That, that God stepped out of heaven to be with us. Emmanuel, He is with us. But wicked men nailed His body to the cross. They crucified the Lord of glory. And all this was part of God's sovereign plan. And Christ rose from the dead, returned to heaven, and sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in men. And the only reason why he can dwell in men is because of Christ's work that has been credited to us that now that we are righteous, we are justified before God, we are made right and set apart for his work. So therefore that the Spirit can now dwell in us. That's what John is telling us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the Spirit. He has given us the Spirit. Now we are the temples. We carry the presence of God. We don't go to a tent. We don't go to this building to be in the presence of God. We carry the presence of God with us each and every day. So stop and think about that the next time you're staring at sin. And the Spirit's working in you and convicting you. And whenever you step over the threshold and do sin, that, that, that God is with you while you're doing that. It's amazing that he just doesn't like make us a matchstick instantly. But he loves us because what Christ did. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tells us that we are now the temple. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own, Paul says. The Holy Spirit dwells in us And we know from Paul's account that the Spirit produces fruit. And as that fruit is produced in us, it reveals an an invisible God to a needy world. Verse 12 tells us that nobody has seen God. That's what he says in verse 12. Nobody has seen God. Man cannot see God, but they can see us. They can see us. They can see how we live, how we love. How does the testimony of our our mouth match up, does our life match up with the testimony of our mouth? They, they see us. And I know many of you are, are engaged with those that have been disenfranchised by the church and those that maybe never been in church, but I know that many of you have, have engaged in these conversations and what is the biggest thing that, that some people say? Now, true or not true, meaning that they don't understand that the church is just you know, more like a, a, a daycare center than a, a pristine, you know, a place for all these holy saints that, that they'll say that, oh man, I, I don't want nothing to do with the church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. They, they say one thing and live a different way. Well, no, we're, we're just struggling on the path the rest of everybody else. 
We're, we're not pristine saints. It's, it's not that, that holy produces this absolute perfect life. Holiness is that we're devoted to God, that we're separated, and we've devoted our, our life to Him. And in the result of that, it clean, kind of cleans some things up as we progress to be more like Christ. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Because it is his work, we have assurance that God is with us. We, we can, along with the apostles, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and we know that we know and we believe with John, as he just gave us in verse 16. We know that we know him because we've experienced him. We also know who he is through what the scripture says. And that we also believe and trust and put our faith in him. That, that, that we can trust in his work and his word more than this world and our own thinking. And we walk and we live that way. One step at a time. That we know and believe as a settled reality in our souls that the God who is love indeed loves us. Is that settled in your soul? Do you, do you truly know that God loves you? I mean, I know I, I say this a lot, but it, it really comes, your understanding of who God is and the theology that you live by is, is really evident right after you sin. Because whether or not you run to God or run away from Him and hide will show you if, who you're believing that God is and, and what you believe about what He's done and who you are and, and how salvation happens and whether it's by faith or by works and, and so many things. So that it's a real good test just to look back. Because every one of us over this past week have, have disobeyed God in some way. We have sinned against God. And so what has happened when we've done that? Did we just blow it off or... Did we go to him or did the Holy Spirit convict us? This is kind of what, where John's living at here. We see faith and love and knowledge working together to assure our hearts that this God of love is our God and Father. He's our God and Father. Wearsby says it this way. The more we love God, the more we understand the love of God. And the more we understand his love, the easier it is to trust him. After all, when you know someone intimately and love him sincerely, you have no problem putting your confidence in him. It's like, do, do you truly know God? Do you truly know him enough to, to trust him whenever his word says that, that whenever you step in this way, that he has it covered? That, that if, you, if you turn from what your flesh really wants to do and do what the Bible says, that, that there's more joy in that than there is over here. And the more that we love him and the more that our, our hearts grow in love for him, it's we trust him more because we know him more. This is indeed a Father God we know and we can trust. Not only do we have assurance of his presence, but we have confidence in the day of judgment. And that's a, a big thing. I know many of us, and, and I'm just, I also don't think of it as often as I probably should. That's where our, our hope comes from, that, that we're just like Israel. We're on this side of the Jordan. We're looking at the promised land, and we're waiting. 
We're waiting for the next Joshua, right? That's what Joshua means. That's, that's why Joshua took him over the thing because he's the one that, that takes him over. We're waiting for our, our Joshua to come get us and take us to the promised land. It's just an amazing picture how the Old Testament defines what we're looking at in the New Testament. That we're waiting and, and we're waiting for him. And, and the thing is, is that one day he says that there's going to be judgment. And we can be confident in that judgment. Confident because of Christ, not because we got it all together. Because we got it all together. First John four seventeen through 18 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Remember, he, he told us this earlier, right? That, that one day we're going to be like him. That's what he's referring to. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if one day we're going to meet God face to face, and we know that, that God is a consuming fire that we, we, we read about and heard about last week, that he's a consuming fire, then, then there's some fear that, is he going to consume me? Well, no, because of Christ. Because of the love that he showed us. He's, he's made a way for us to be able to stand in his presence one day. What John is doing is he's shifting gears and changes direction at this point. He wants to bring into the discussion both the subject of judgment and the subject of fear. Loving others out of the gratitude for how we have been loved in Christ has consequences not only for the present, but also for the future. He is looking to the judgment seat of Christ, which every human will have to face one day. Is we can't pick and choose what the Bible says. This is going to happen. We're going to face him one day. Because we know of God's love for us, we can stand confident in that day. There's no guilt, there's no fear. I mean, we should be rejoicing that we get to go be with the Father, right? We get to go be with our God. There should be no fear. There's no guilt. The guilt has been put and hammered on the cross. That's where all your guilt died, on the cross. There is no guilt anymore. Now this is, a, again, this is a vertical fear. This is a, a fear to God. Now so many times this kind of, this passage, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It gets pulled out of context and it gets thrown on coffee mugs and, and it's all told that all the fears that you have in this world today, if you just love, it'll, it'll take away all those fears. Yes, there is some truth to that, but in context of John, he's talking about judgment day. He's talking about the vertical. He's not talking about horizontal, although... The horizontal can be fought with love in this way. We know that the flip of fear, the flip side of fear is desire. That's, that's why you're anxious. That's why you have fear. It's because you desire something, right? If, if I'm standing up here and I'm worried about what you guys are thinking of me, I'm going to have fear. What is the, what is the flip side of that fear? A desire for you guys to think well of me. And every one of your fears, now some of them are irrational, like, you know, some of them we can, we can process out that way. Like if you're standing on a ledge, you know, and you're 150 stories up and you're afraid of heights, well, you know that the desire is not to fall. So we can, we can rational some of those out. But, but all fear is just a flip side of another desire. And so many times we can, we can find our anxieties and we can find our fears by digging into what we're truly desiring. I fear this, well then what am I truly desiring? And this is where love can help us with that. 
Because the love of God can reorient our desires so that they're lined up more with Scripture. So therefore, we do not have to fear anymore. The fear of, of what people think of us is, is taken out by the love that God has shown us by giving us a new identity. We are His child. There's nothing that anybody on this earth can do to you. Nothing that they can do to you. You are, you are the Father's child. Your soul is secure forever. There's nothing they can do to you. So the love, see, the love of him comes out and helps us in those actions. But what, what John is truly saying here, he's talking about the vertical. He's talking about judgment day. That, that we don't, that the love of God casts out all fear of being in his presence because he is a holy and just God and he is perfect. John MacArthur says it beautifully. This stunning statement means the Father treats the saints the same way He does His Son, Jesus Christ. God clothes believers with the righteousness of Christ. And He grants the Son's perfect love and obedience. Someday, believers will stand before God's throne as confidently as their Lord and Savior does. When they reach that final accounting, they will see the fulfillment of 1 John 3.2. We believers know that, we, that when we appear, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That one day, that glorious day that we sang when we talked about this hope back in 1 John 3. When God's love has reached its intended goal and accomplished its perfect work, fear before God is driven out and the dread of punishment is vanquished. This is one of the joys and blessings of knowing God as Father. This holy and righteous judge is also our Abba Father. He loves us. The threat of punishment will disappear. The fear of punishment will evaporate. Love never fears judgment or punishment. That's what John is saying. It is bold. It is confident. Which brings us to John's last point. Love gives us the power to reflect God's character in the world. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 19 is one of the most simple and straightforward verses in the Bible. The theological order is important. It is so important. We love, why? Because he first loved us. See, God took the initiative, not us. He loved us. Remember, He's talking to Israelite, Israel, and, and he's saying, why do I love you? It's not because you're the most. It's not because you're awesome. It's no reason. It's just because I want to love you. And that's exactly what John's reiterating here. We love, why? Because he first loved us. God initiated it, not us. This is not something that we can make happen. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 5, 5. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The love that we are to love God with and the love that we are to love one another with. Whatever else we say about this experience, let this be said. It is not decisively the work of man but the work of God. It is the work of God, not the work of man. It's supernatural. 
It is not finally in our power. It is not the product of mere circumstances. It is owing to the Holy Spirit. You don't make it happen. You can't tell God to make you be born again. He has to do it in His grace. And how does He do it? Through the effectual call. You hear the words of the gospel, the good news of Christ, and He sends the Spirit to save you. Do we know who that is or when that's going to happen? Absolutely not. So we just keep proclaiming the gospel. And keep loving so they may see the Father that they can't see otherwise. We cannot make it happen. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. Think about Nicodemus, right? Whenever, whenever Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, what does he tell him? He says that you must be born again. And it is done by the Spirit. Oh, by the way, the, the what? The wind blows where it wishes. Same way with the Spirit. We don't control it. God, it is God, and He goes wherever He wants and saves and does what He wants. The Father's prior love is source and cause for our love for others. If I am not loving others as I ought, then I do not know God's love as I should. That is essence in John's argument in verse 20. That if I don't love my brother and sister, then maybe there's something wrong with, or maybe I'm not born again. Once again, we encounter an if, if anyone says statement. Here the person under examination says one thing, but does another that contradicts his words. With his lips he says, I love God. But in his heart and action, he hates his brother. John's verdict is quick, clear, and to the point. He is a liar. He is a liar. John's logic is flawless. It is what we call a lesser to a greater analogy. The gist is that if you do not have the ability to love the brother you can see, it is impossible for you to love the God you have not seen. That's what he's trying to emphasize here. If you can't love the brother or sister that's beside you, that you come to church with, that's your neighbor, that's your co-worker, if you can't love them, then how are you loving the, the God that you don't see? Even though he's given us our spirit, his spirit that causes us to love. If we do not manage to love his creatures, then you cannot love the creator. If you do not have the capacity to love his children, then you cannot love their father. John Stott is right when he notes, it is obviously easier to love and serve a visible man than an invisible God. And if we fail in an easier task, it is absurd to claim success in the harder. God calls us to walk in the truth that involves loving God and loving others. So in many ways, John's just, he's trying to say, like, don't lie to yourself. Don't read these passages and tune out because, because John's getting up in all our, our business and, and pointing out some things that, that is, is true of us and maybe not true of us. And, and we're evaluating our lives. But, but, it, but if you're just dismissing all of this, then... then Here's the tragedy. You can't stand confident before God on Judgment Day. That breaks my heart. You can't stand before Him. You have not experienced the love of God. You have not been born again. Now, 
John closes chapter 4 with a statement that sums up everything that he has said starting in verse 4 of chapter 4. He kind of brings it to a close and sums it all up. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what does John do? He looks to the words of Jesus to settle the issue and answer any remaining questions or objections someone might raise. And we have this commandment from him, is what he said. And we have this commandment from him. So John is saying, remember I was, in in verse 1, I said I was with him, I saw him, I touched him, he taught me. This commandment we got from him, from God himself, is found in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus gave us us was a command. It was not a suggestion or a recommendation. It was not just a, a good idea we might consider. If we truly love God, then we must truly love our brother as well. That's been his argument all the way through chapter 4. Our ability to actually love God is wedded to the reality of our love for fellow human beings. And such a love is not every once in a while or when we feel like it or if it's convenient for us or if it benefits us. See, remember that the word for love all the way through here is, is agape love. Agape love is, is the, it's willful love. That you're moving towards someone no matter if they're kicking and screaming, don't want nothing that, that you're giving them, or if they're aggravating you, or whatever. It's a willful love. It's, it's the same love that God loves us first with. There's nothing about us. He, 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 we're not sitting here today professing to be Christians and believers in God because there's something special about us and there's not something special about the person that's not here or who does not believe. No, the only difference, the only difference between us and them is the fact that God shed his love on us. But we don't know. They might, need, they might be getting the love too. They get it in common grace, yes. And that's why we are called to go and be agents of reconciliation. To profess the good news. Because God first loved us. And such a love is not, again, whenever we feel like it. It's purposeful. Many times we got to do it when we don't feel like it. And I think that's the times that we suffer and grow the most. Is when we go in love whenever we don't feel like it. Because we love God and he's loved us first. It reflects and demonstrates for all to see the love of God for sinners that was put on public display on a bloody Roman cross when the father sent his son as the world savior. In Luke seven forty seven, Jesus says that those who have been forgiven much will love much. We have been forgiven much, brothers and sisters. We have been forgiven everything we have ever done wrong and ever will do wrong. So living in the power of that truth made possible through the perfect atoning death of Jesus, let's love wholly the God whom we cannot see, but someday will. And let's love well the brother and sister we do see today. And there really is supernatural power in love. You have any doubts, just look to the cross. The crucified God declares it to be so. Shall we pray?
Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that you've challenged us to look at our lives today, Lord. Father, I thank you for the love. Don't, may we not sit in waller in what we might have heard, but may we, we see the love of God that has been poured out on us and quickly, and quickly go from conviction to repentance and trust and faith. This is what Christ has provided for us. He's provided us a way to be in God's presence. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much to send your son. And Lord, I pray today that your spirit has worked, and I know he has worked, in our hearts either challenge us to love better or to love for the first time. Lord, I pray that you will change hearts to do so today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week. 